Thank you for joining us for Carlton Fields Real Insights on Real Estate. Today we're going to talk about the commercial real estate market, in particular the hospitality industry. We had a great response to our first podcast on the hospitality industry, and we thought it made sense to do a three-part series on the issues facing participants in the hospitality industry. Joining us again to discuss the business of the hospitality and commercial real estate business are attorneys Dan Weedy and David Adams. Dan counsels clients on a wide range of hospitality-related issues, including various mixed-use and joint venture projects. Dan has extensive experience in representing hotel brands, owners, developers, lenders, and managers in all aspects of hotel ownership, management, and financing, and is currently president of the Atlanta Hospitality Alliance. David Adams represents national, regional, and community banks in a host of regulatory and financial matters. He has extensive experience in the areas of the regulation of financial institutions, acquisition and sale of business entities, and the financing of various transactions. David has sold several hotels during his career and financed multiple properties through both government-guaranteed and non-government-guaranteed financing. Both David and Dan have been published extensively, including legal and non-legal publications on the commercial real estate market. Dan and David, welcome. Hi, thanks, Christina. This is David Adams. This is our second of a three-part series on the business and legal issues that arise in developing and owning hotels. In our first podcast, which we called Hotels 101, we discussed the basic legal and business issues that are unique to developing and owning hotels including the impact of the brand in creating and maintaining value of the hotel, the roles of various agreements and hotel deals, specifically the management agreement, franchise agreement, and loan agreement. And finally, we discussed the basic metrics used to evaluate the financial performance of a hotel. In this podcast, we are moving on to discuss some of the more important issues in a purchase and sale agreement for a hotel with a particular focus on the legal rights and investor needs in order to properly evaluate a hotel acquisition. Today, again, I am joined by Dan Weedy. Hey, David. As you learned in previous podcasts, Dan is extremely active in the hotel and hospitality industry and is a past president and current board member of the Atlanta Hospitality Alliance. Thanks again for joining us, Dan. Well, thank you, David. Let's start off. First of all, Why is a purchase and sale agreement for the acquisition of a hotel so different than normal contracts to purchase other property types? That's a great question, one that I get a lot. Hotels are different from other property classes in three or four key ways. First, as an investment, they're really hybrids between a real estate project and an operating business. Second, revenue from a hotel comes in daily, not monthly. Third, Hotels are much more service and labor intensive than other property classes. And fourth, the importance of the brand or the flag to the value of the real estate is much more important in hotels than other classes of real estate. These differences and how you verify or perform due diligence on them are what makes a hotel contract different. Well, let's start right there with due diligence. What are some of the due diligence methods that uh, you would advise a buyer to perform or verify in a purchase contract to properly evaluate a potential hotel? Sure. Due diligence is simply making sure you get what you think you're going to get. And it's accomplished with some or all of the following. Representations and warranties from the seller. Your physical inspection of the property. Inspecting and reviewing the hotel's books and records and various conditions to closing that are negotiated in the contract. That's a great list. Let's just start with uh, number one that you mentioned, representations and warranties. What are some of the typical 
reps and warranties that a purchaser would want to have in its purchase and sale agreement? Well, I'm not sure that there's such thing as a typical rep and warranty, but they're ones that you would commonly see and are commonly negotiated. So a seller is going to want to limit its representations in general to only those matters that it thinks the buyer cannot reasonably ascertain for themselves. Sellers will typically want to limit and qualify the reps that they do give to materiality, their actual knowledge, usually time duration, and typically cap the damages that can result from any untrue representations. Buyers will push for broad and comprehensive representations and warranties, even if they plan to perform full due diligence on the hotel themselves. The basic representations and warranties should define the types of property, such as real property, personal property, and the intellectual property that's being sold, with assurances from the seller that, to their knowledge, the seller owns those rights and can convey them free of monetary encumbrances and other liens. The buyer will also want to see representations and warranties and schedules of the various material leases, service contracts, and the licenses that will affect the hotel. Now, as we discussed in our last podcast, two of the most critical documents that affect the value and operations of a hotel are the franchise agreement and the management agreement. Therefore, if a hotel is encumbered by management or encumbered by franchise, the buyer will want appropriate representations and warranties regarding those agreements so that the buyer can understand the impact of those agreements on the value of the property. The purchaser is also going to want to see a list of all service contracts as well as the right to review and reject service contracts it thinks are above market or otherwise undesirable. Thanks, Dan. Well, I'm looking back at my list to uh, the first question that you answered and the second thing that you uh, recommended were physical inspections of the property. So what are some of the physical inspections that a prospective purchaser would want the right to conduct? The buyer typically conducts standard due diligence regarding title and survey and physical condition of the property, including the zoning status and the environmental status, and will want to conduct a full review of the agreements that affect the property, including the important licenses, such as the liquor license. We want to take a look at the management agreement, as we've discussed, the franchise agreement, and importantly, any off-site parking agreements or reciprocal easement agreements that may affect the property. Much of the physical due diligence is now performed by various third-party vendors and is contained in property condition reports, environmental site assessments, and property zoning reports. If a buyer plans to reposition or rebrand the hotel, it's also going to want a hotel feasibility study that supports those plans. Now, one more note about franchise agreements for a hotel. Franchise agreements are personal to the owner and cannot be typically assigned to a buyer. The buyer will need to enter into a new franchise agreement with the brand. As a condition to entering into a new franchise agreement, most brands require that the new owner complete a property improvement plan, or a PIP, as we say. PIPs can add significantly to the overall acquisition costs for a hotel, so it's critical that as part of its due diligence, the new owner fully understands and accounts for those costs of the PIP in its economic forecast for the hotel. Well, that's a great segue to my next question, Uh, which is on the inspection of the hotel's books and records. How extensive a review of the hotel's books and records should a prospective purchaser want the right to conduct? Well, a buyer's going to want to review the hotel's financial information, including annual audited profit and loss statements, typically for the last three to five years and the current year to date. It's going to want to look at the audited balance sheet for the last three to five years, occupancy and average daily rate for the last three years, capital expenditures for the same time period with current projections for those expenditures, the important service contracts and leases, the franchise agreement, the license agreement, important permits, uh, any union agreements of those that apply, a list of future reservations and bookings, 
important inspection reports that might deal with health, fire, building, elevator, and a current list of employees, including typically their name, their position, salary, and benefits. That's great, and that's a that's a great list. Um, and I should have asked this earlier when we were talking about reps and warranties. What are also some of the important covenants that a buyer would want a seller to agree to in a purchase and sale agreement? Buyers typically want the sellers to continue to operate the property or cause its manager to continue to operate the property in the same manner as prior to executing the contract, including maintaining proper inventories, keeping all existing service contracts, and not entering into any new service agreements without the buyer's consent. And if the buyer wants to retain the existing hotel manager, it will also want to ensure that its key employees remain at the hotel. Thanks, Dan. So we've gone all the way through the due diligence process, and let's talk about actually closing on the acquisition. What are some of the important conditions to closing that a buyer would want the seller to commit to? Well, this is one of the more highly negotiated parts of any purchase and sale agreement negotiations. Now, common closing conditions that the buyers and sellers agree to typically surround title and the title company specifically being willing to issue a standard title policy at closing, litigation, that there's no material litigation that might affect the property or the transaction, and that the purchase and sale agreement, neither party has defaulted under that. Those are fairly not controversial. The non-standard or the more highly negotiated conditions that a buyer is going to want to typically ask for and sellers are going to typically want to resist have to do with financing or having a financing contingency, the franchise, liquor license, management agreement contingencies, and WARN Act contingencies. Now, we don't have enough time to go into the WARN Act, but the WARN Act is important litigation that affects mass layoffs or firings of employees. And if you don't know what you're doing, can trip you up in a transaction. Now, buyers frequently ask for a condition for anything that they believe is critical to the operation of the hotel. And of course, as I said before, sellers resist these conditions to closing and want to ensure that the buyer is using their best efforts to obtain everything we just talked about. It's financing, it's franchising, the liquor license, that they gets all of this in a timely manner. Now, that's all that I have for this brief overview of hotel purchase and sale agreements. Now, while the issues we discussed today are common to most hotel deals, the ultimate resolution is as varied as the properties themselves. Finally, I will say, keep in mind that understanding the motivations of the other party is very important in any transaction. If you want to get what you want, you need to understand what the other party wants. Frequently, both parties can get what they want and need if they just take the time to understand the other party. That's what we call your classic win-win situation, and that's what we shoot for. David, thanks for your time today. Christina, thanks for your time. Thanks again for listening. You've been listening to Carlton Fields' podcast series with Dan Weedy and David Adams. To learn more about our commercial real estate and finance group, visit carltonfields.com forward slash real estate. This podcast is intended for general information and educational purposes only and should not be relied on as if it were advice about a particular fact situation. The distribution of this podcast is not intended to create and receipt of it does not constitute an attorney-client relationship with Carlton Fields. Thanks for listening.